to Talk FX, where we promise to keep the conversation honest and real for our Fragile X community. We are a group of moms of Fragile X children, self-advocates, and full mutation carriers from Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, all on a mission to share our stories and experiences in the hopes of reaching more Fragile X families and creating more awareness of Fragile X syndrome. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to this week's episode of Talk FX. In to Talk FX. On today's episode, we have um, the AMP Sports and Fitness who are a group of fitness trainers who work with kids and adults with developmental delays. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll go ahead and just get started on just telling us um, about AMP's mission and how you guys started. Uh, this has been, uh, we actually, we started this company back in March of 17, but we had been doing fitness and sports um, for children with disabilities uh, as as private practitioners who we were working um, for another agency. And we would kind of meet up with our clients and work on social skills. Um, and when we stopped working for that practice, we had uh, a lot of parents reach out about starting, uh, starting up the sports and fitness um, program that we were kind of running. And... Uh, it was surprising to me because I just like based on, um, you know, like the body language of parents when they would come and and uh, and hang out while we ran the program. I didn't think that it was as meaningful to them as it was, um, but they were just they would talk about, you know, like how their children were now interested in uh, sports, especially team sports and competitive and like they were playing uh, rec sports for their, uh, like wherever their home township was. Um, so it meant a lot to the parents to see their kids active and, and um, uh, you know, the, like the, I think the social side of team sports, like taking turns and sharing and being a good sport. So like there was a ton of skills that they were learning um, kind of indirectly by participating in a sports program. And, uh, and so we started it up in 17. Um, none of us really had any dis disposable income to start the company. Um, I always mention that because for some reason, I, I'm proud of the fact that we just chased something we were passionate about without necessarily having the best plan or, or the best resources. Um, we were really blessed to have a lot of people in our corner who kind of helped us out for for free just because they believed in and saw value in what we were doing um and uh, and we started our very first session in september of of 17 and um we had four athletes show up now we have i, I want to say over 30 on the roster um and the cool thing about the three of us is that we all have clinical experience um we've all played sports and um, and uh, we have um, fitness credentials as well. So um, we kind of tackle things from the sports and fitness angle as well as 
um, clinicians and we incorporate a lot of applied behavior analysis strategies that we've used clinically into the, uh, into the sports and fitness programs. So we find it helps the athletes meet with success. Uh, we're able to meet everybody at their ability level and help them gradually improve from there. And uh, I think um, like the core values of, of us as owners is that the, the program is always run um, with a high quality of, uh, of care for the athletes. Like we're rarely understaffed. Um, if we are, it's like a fluky thing. Well, a lot of the, the kids who need one-to-one -one support get it. Um, so I feel like we've been unwilling to compromise that. We're also very uh, conscious of costs. So we, um, we try to keep the costs really low for the families. We're in the process of transitioning to a nonprofit organization. And we're hoping that if we can fundraise um, enough money that we could um, either keep the cost where it's at, but I think a dream scenario would be to, to offer the program really cheap or, or free if we could, and probably to pay our staff more because we really value them. And, and so there's kind of like, like with us being stubborn about not raising prices, like, the um, like the downside to that is we can't pay the staff more than, and you know we think they're worth a lot more than what we pay them, and so it has its limitations. We're hoping being a nonprofit would open open doors for us to uh, to expand the program, um, pay the staff more, um, you know, run cool events in the community to help fundraise, and uh, and keep the costs low for families. And um, I think like a dream scenario for me would be if this program was available, you know, all over the country and maybe even the world um, at low to no cost. Um, but like going back to the integrity of the program, I think we're all reluctant to uh, to expand it if it's going to become like a watered down version of the program we run here in New Jersey. So if we can scale it to where the the, uh, the level of care is still really high and the kids are benefiting from it, then it, I'm totally open to scaling it. Um, but I think that's definitely my reluctance is I don't want to just put like a location in every state. You know, if, if, uh, if the staff's not as passionate and if the, um, the athletes aren't improving and all that stuff, Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely admire that. And just your guys's focus on um, keeping costs affordable for families that, you know, already pay for uh, their children's um, uh, therapies or, you know, any sort of other thing that is that can be costly. Um, and then obviously just providing so much opportunity for uh, individuals with autism in general, because I think it is definitely important for um, autistic individuals to um, have health and, and fitness in their lives. Um, it can do so much for them, uh, not just, you know, uh, to be active, but also that, like, I believe you touched on that, that social opportunity as well yeah. in a, in a fun setting rather than, you know, 
for instance, maybe just sitting at school and um, it's not quite as much of a social opportunity as it's just a different environment when when you're somewhere where you can um, play sports or um, just learn different uh, skills that makes them more, um, you know, learning their um, coordination skills and such is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I think even if you look at like the way that communication is expanded in our program, like when you're like labeling actions and objects and like, you know, it might just be like, you know, objects that are specific to a sport like hockey sticks, hockey pucks, like basketballs, things like that. Like they're really expanding their expressive and receptive language repertoire. But like you said, in a much more fun and engaging way. Like as opposed to when you're sitting one-on-one with a student at a desk and just like drilling and repeating like that, that can be boring for, um, for any child, you know, and then our athletes, you know, many of them could have like limited attention span and other behavioral challenges. So, you know, it makes it that much more difficult in like a one-to-one setting. I feel like, like a lot of learning happens, um, indirectly and and just in a a much more fun way absolutely um are can you think of any particular uh you know um time where you've seen someone come and start um you know using um your guys's uh programs and they you know, you've seen some sort of um, positive development in them, like maybe they came in with a certain amount of um, skill sets or like social skills, even. And then through time, you saw a big difference. Um, Like, can you share how maybe how often you've seen that and how it's really um, affected maybe your staff and just encouraged you guys? Yeah, I I always use this example. I feel like Nick and Brandon are probably sick of hearing it. But (laughs) We had a, uh, we had an athlete like from when we were in private practice and, um, and, uh, he used to just try to get out on purpose, like in dodgeball, you know, and, uh, and you know, he could Mm -hmm. barely throw or catch, um, his social skills were definitely limited and, uh, you know, like, so our intervention was that he was in like indefinitely, like if he got hit with a ball, like he wouldn't go out. And, um, like you always want to save face amongst peers. So, you know, like if kids would say like, Hey, he's out, why, how come he's not out? You know, and we would say like, he's learning how to play the game. Like, like he's, we're counting him as out, you know? So if everybody else on his team is out, you guys win, but we're going to let him stay in and, and like strengthen his skills. And so I just think like, number one, the amount of reps he got, he, he got to learn the physical skills of throwing and catching. Um, But I think like eliminating the, the fact that it was reinforcing for him to just get out and then go sit on the sideline and not have to be outside of his comfort zone uh, was a huge help too. But that's where like the clinical part of the program is important. You know, like if you were just a personal trainer, um, or a coach trying to run this program, like you might be inclined to just say, Oh, well, if he wants to be out, like, let him, let him sit out. Like this, this guy was actually, we felt like he was getting out on purpose because he wanted to be on the sideline. So like, 
that's where I, like clinically, I think we pushed him outside his comfort zone and, and being aware of like reinforcement and those types of ABA terms um, was helpful to us, you know, because a, a coach with no clinical background might just reinforce a behavior like that. Right. That, that definitely makes sense. You know, I, I think when you share that story, I think of um, my 11 year old cousin who uh, he was first diagnosed with autism, but he um, was later diagnosed with fragile X syndrome, which is um, maybe even if you guys already know this, it's the genetic cause of, of autism, one of the leading, leading known genetic causes. And, you know, I actually watched him before uh, play basketball. And um, I think it, it's a little bit different of a scenario just because he was only playing against his his father. <laughs> but um, he his determination in sports is is quite fascinating. Um, I absolutely love watching him right after he got his first basket. He would not stop playing basketball. He just keeps on doing it because he loves that feeling of, um, for instance, like praise when he does get a basket, it's exciting for him. It's encouraging for him. And I think for, uh, individuals, you know, even with autism to have that opportunity to play sports, to have those exciting moments in a social situation is so important and not to be, uh, treated you know with like you were talking about the difference in reinforcement is so important in in not only their you know development but also in their um uh desire to play the game or desire to do sports in general um but yeah so thank you so much for sharing that um well the one and the, the one thing that i've always been curious about is like like the population of, of athletes that we work with, like tend to be more sedentary. Like a lot of them are, are into technology. Although I feel like most children nowadays are into technology and, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's like, do children with autism, like, is, is there something about children with autism that they tend not to like sports or physical activity? Or is it that like they lack confidence because there's like, there's multiple um, like weak areas that need to be addressed. Like number one, you have to break down a physical skill into manageable parts to teach it. But then you also, like we talked about the behavioral challenges of, you know, reinforcing to escape. But like what I see is that once the skills are strengthened and kids are more confident, like they do like sports and physical activity. So I, I'm inclined to believe that, that, um, the skill deficit is what causes that perception and that if the skills are taught properly, like it isn't that children on the spectrum, you know, like have, have some type of like predisposition, like against sports, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, part of it's like the, the unknown factor. And like you said, like the skill deficit, um, and then, going back a little bit, like what you kind of said, where you were asking for example, before, and Vin gave you the one of the young man that ended up liking sports after being with us for a while. Uh, I thought it'd be appropriate to share 
with one of our guys who actually has a diagnosis of fragile X, who, when he first started the program, you know, had that, uh, severe anxiety could barely get him in the door to where we were able to pair him up with somebody that he was able to identify with as far as a coach goes. Um, and they were able to form, uh, a very strong relationship to where now that staff member works with, with, uh, this young man almost all the time because he has such good outcomes when he's at our program. And you were talking about your nephew that plays basketball. This guy also loves basketball and he's not really a guy that had, I mean, he needs some help as far as like form and posture when playing different sports. He has a naturally athletic build, I think, and he uh, is predisposed to play sports, but you know, teaching him how to hold a baseball bat and to swing it appropriately um, could only be done by uh, successfully being paired with somebody there to support him and coach him um, and paired with the environment and the people in it so that he was not so apprehensive to to enter our gym. Right. Yeah. Um, That, so with, with the individuals that participate with you guys, um, especially like you were talking about with the one particular individual who generally works with the same person every time he comes in, um, is that, something that you guys um offer to families if if that individual tends to do better with um like repetition and and uh like uh routine if it if if we're able to do it um you know we try to accommodate as much as possible um with that said you know he does work with other other staff members as well and that's good too because you know um things in life change they're not always static and you need to be ready to, to still move through life when there are changes. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a matter of, you know, uh, somebody first comes and they get comfortable with one, uh, coach, um, and they're learning the program and, you know, getting used to how it's run, then sure. We'll try to keep that part consistent. But once they've kind of, you know, got the routine down, uh, they understand what's expected of them. They're contacting success. Then that's when we will say, you know, um, you know, why don't you go work with this, with this other staff member? And also like Vince said, you know, we have, we have a bunch of staff, but you know, they're not there every single session, every single week. So, you know, the kids need to uh, experience um, different staff members as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you guys um, also when presented with challenges of of maybe you know an individual walks in and and they're not exactly excited to start your program how do you guys generally go about um handling that in the best way possible well we usually will we'll speak to parents we don't have like a formal intake process because we're trying to have the uh we want the whole program to just mirror like if you signed a, a child without a disability up for a rec program or a sports program, uh, we wanted mm-hmm. to mirror that. Uh, so we don't have like an intake packet or any formal process. It's usually just an informal conversation with a parent, either on the phone beforehand or, or when they show up at the door. Um, but so a lot of it might just be asking them, like, what are triggers, you know, for challenging behavior for your child? Like, what do they like? Is there like, do they have a favorite show or something we could 
talk to them about. Um, but, uh, but we're really flexible on, um, you know, like we offer a free trial, uh, a free trial session. Um, but we extend that, like we've extended it up to a month and we'll sometimes tell parents like, just bring, um, just bring your child and let them sit and watch, you know? So we have some kids who will just kind of sit and watch and then we'll go over and engage them in conversation here and there throughout a session. Um, but we definitely, we don't want people wasting their money. Um, sometimes it takes us a while to, uh, to, to kind of like figure out if the program's a good fit for a specific child. Um, so a lot of that is just like giving the family time for their child to adjust and get used to the gym. Um, and then us kind of being proactive and finding out some background information about the child. Right. That is cool. Um, and just giving the families the opportunity to just kind of see how their child responds to, um, you know, the environment and just, um, everything in general and, you know, kind of letting them make the decision. And that's a really great opportunity for families too. Um, and, um, is there any other info that you guys would like to share about AMP that you really feel would be valuable to, uh, listeners, um, Uh, Yeah, actually, a lot of people, because the name's Autism Movement Project, think that we only service athletes uh, with a diagnosis of autism. But um, we have uh, athletes with fragile X, Downs, I mean, uh, just a range of disabilities. Um, Like the the real, like, limiting factor to where we've had athletes who were not appropriate for the program is, like, if there's such severe aggression or self-injury or non-compliance, like that we can't manage it because like I said, we, we try to provide one-to-one, but we can't really guarantee it. Um, and like, we're all trained in crisis management. Um, but we, uh, but so there's, there are some athletes who the program is not appropriate for, unfortunately. Um, but we always say like, it's not a life sentence, like it, for certain behaviors, like if, if uh, the family's working with a behavior analyst and like they're able to, you know, like lessen the frequency or the intensity of a behavior or extinguish it completely, like uh, kids are always welcome uh, to give it another try. Um, So we're really Mm -hmm. flexible in that way. Like we've had some athletes attend, you know, it didn't work out. And then like a few months later they came back and, and uh, were really successful. So, um, you know, I would say that, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I do have a question off yeah. of what you shared. Um, so I love to hear that it, that you guys um, um, have inclusion in your organization of, you know, not just serving the autistic community, but also, you know, typically developing individuals being a part of your programs. I think that that is yeah. so important. Um, have you seen any, uh, any significant, you know, progress with your autistic individuals, like interacting with the, you know, typically developing um, participants as well and how that has um, maybe made a difference in, in their development? Well, it, the, uh, I don't want to give you the wrong impression of the program. Like the staff, 
is obviously not not diagnosed with a developmental disability, but we there are not um, other children who are non-disabled participating in the program. I guess besides, I have uh, four children, but my older two, uh, they come and they participate and we actually allow all siblings um, to participate. So I guess that's kind of not true, um, but we don't charge memberships to the siblings. Um, but uh, um, we, we, yeah. Oh, okay. No, I think I just I got no, that that's a okay. little bit. Yeah, I just I didn't want to like misrepresent <laughs> the program. But no, we have siblings no, that participate, not. and um, like I don't know what the parents would say about sibling interactions. Like we hope there's improvement there because I feel like we're helping to facilitate you know, social interaction between siblings and maybe it's a little bit more difficult at home, but I don't, I don't know whether that is true or isn't. Um, but I, we did have, um, uh, a friend of the program come and observe. She's a, uh, a professor up at Caldwell university, I believe. And, uh, and she's really into fitness with the special needs community. And I remember her telling us, um, you know, like during our downtime, when everyone's kind of just hanging out and shooting hoops, um, she said, I really like can't tell who is disabled and who isn't because you guys are all so integrated. And she was referring to like the siblings, the athletes and the staff. Um, so, I'm, I mean, there's definitely uh, a ton of social interaction as the kids get more comfortable with our staff. So, uh, so I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, I appreciate it just because, you know, I am a huge advocate for inclusion and having, um, having individuals with, you know, autism, uh, be, um, socializing with those that are typically developing is so important and there's so much development in that from them. And I just, um, I'm just very passionate about it and advocate for it. So um, that's why I, I asked. (laughs) No, it's actually interesting that you brought that up because um, like, it's always been an issue of like, how do we make enough money to keep the program running? You know? And like, like we had talked about like, well, should we uh, like, should we, you know, get um, on the insurance side of things and like take clinical cases on the side again you know, like, should we convert to a nonprofit? And, um, and so, uh, like, one of the things we looked into was through uh, the Division of Developmental Disabilities, like you could get reimbursed through them um, for the athletes who are over 21. Uh, but you have to be like an organization that your services are available to the general public. And, um, so that was even something like we looked into, like if we just make it an inclusion program, you know, and invite everybody and not just athletes with disabilities, like, is that a, like a source of funding uh, to help keep the program running? And um, I think like at the time we was just like, we didn't know what kind of interest we'd get from athletes without disabilities and, and so we never went that route, but it was definitely something we looked into. And sometimes we talk about like eventually owning our own gym. And uh, 
And that would even be something where I feel like if we had our own facility, we could offer classes, you know, where our athletes could attend a class, you know, with athletes that are not disabled. And, um, and I think that would definitely be like the end game is for us to, you know, if we had a gym like the, the YMCA or workout world or something like that, where we just offered classes right. and like, depending on the level of independence of each particular athlete, like we gradually in- integrated them into um, classes, you know, like maybe we have a class for only athletes with disabilities for the newer athletes or, you know, ones um, who still need a lot more work on like maybe behavior and their physical skills. And then as they improve, like we send them with support into, uh, into um, just like a general fitness class. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great uh, envisioning um, for you guys. And I think that that would create so much um, amazing opportunities for those kids as well. Like um, I'm thinking now like about inclusion, I think like, one of the things when you talked about like, is there anything else that we want to share about AMP is like, we get a lot of interest from celebrities and pro athletes and they come to the program um, and they work out with the kids and, uh, and we just, and we get a lot of support from local businesses too. Um, I always talk about this with Nick and Brandon, like it, an unforeseen benefit of the program that we didn't know was going to happen uh, when we started it is we, we do feel like we're fostering inclusion, um, in that kind of a way, because Mm -hmm. we get a lot of people from the community who, who come and work out with us. They see the way we interact with the kids and how we work with them. And like, I've had people say to me, like, I want to interact when I see someone with a disability, but I don't know what to say, you know? Um, so I feel like in a way we are fostering inclusion in that hopefully when these people go back into the community uh, to whatever business they own, or if they're a pro athlete and they, you know, are somewhere publicly and they see a family with a child with special needs, you know, like they're better able to assist or better able to just be social. Yeah, absolutely. That is a very great point. Um, That is a big factor in, you know, my, uh, background with working with special needs, you know, I, uh, you mentioned the YMCA. I used to uh, run programs for individuals with um, developmental uh, delays uh, here in Washington, and they were of all different spectrums. Um, and uh, it was eye-opening to me because um, I ran a baseball program called Miracle League, and I uh, was um, in charge of, you know, finding volunteers to uh, help us out um, every single week. And we averaged about, um, I would say, maybe 20 to 25 kids or so per game, and we had four games every weekend. Um, and it was never there. We never kept score. Miracle League was, it has always been about not keeping score. It's always been about, 
the fun and um, the opportunity for the kids to play the game of baseball. And um, it was so uh, encouraging to watch different um, organizations um, come to be buddies for these kids and just uh, watch them just be such a, you know, uh, light in, in the kids' lives, but also, you know, vice versa. Um, and just the way that they would go about, um, you know, their lives after having exper- having experienced what they did being able to volunteer uh, for us was incredibly encouraging. Um, you know, there, uh, there was different organizations from high schools, you know, so younger students got to experience, um, you know, working with individuals with, with special needs and, um, you know, just even younger individuals than that in middle school. And, you know, we would always talk to them prior to each game and just say, you know, we're all about safety and we're all about fun. So they would always, you know, make sure that the ball wouldn't hit anyone's head or anything like that. Um, but also to just encourage them to have fun and, and it was just amazing to watch. So I definitely, uh, love what you're saying about, you know, just having different, uh, individuals come to your, uh, facility and just, uh, hang out with these kids and then what they would do after, um, and how they would go about their lives is, is really encouraging to watch. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, was there anything else you guys wanted to share? Um, um, I mean, no. I would say to just look out for us. I don't think we're going away. Our families love the program. We love running it. And, uh, and we're really like banking on being a nonprofit organization and, and doing right by the athletes, you know, and, uh, and fundraising a lot, you know, keeping our program going, maybe eventually buying our own place and expanding the program. And, uh, and we just, uh, we want to help a lot of the athletes and their families and get them interested in sports and movement and, and, uh, inspire healthy living. And, um, you know what, there is one more thing. If any of your listeners wouldn't mind checking out, uh, we're blogging now. It's a general health and wellness blog. Um, covers, you know, nutrition, exercise, um, psychology, ABA, uh, kind of everything that falls under the umbrella of health and wellness, you know, mind, body, spirit, um, all that stuff. And, uh, and supporting our Instagram page. Cause I mean, believe it or not, even if people don't donate money to us, once we're a nonprofit organization, the more followers we get on social media, uh, opens up the door for uh, like paid advertising and just like we're looking for every every uh, supplemental income route possible um, so that we don't have to charge the families a lot of money or any money. Absolutely. That is that is the way to go. Um, social media can be extremely helpful. <laughs> um, so. 
Um, thank you guys so much for being on uh, Talk Fragile X today. I really appreciate your guys' time and just sharing on uh, uh, AMP. And I have been uh, following you guys for some time now and have very much appreciated your guys' support with our podcast and with our um, everything that we're trying to um, do with it. And um, I'm always so encouraged when I see your guys' posts. They're amazing just watching kids um, and uh, improving their fitness capabilities. And I just absolutely love everything that you guys stand for. Um, And it was just such a pleasure to talk with you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Well, I really hope that your guys's envisionment for AMP um, comes to fruition. And I just hope that you guys reach more and more families, as many as possible, um, and that you guys reach all of the goals that you want for AMP as well. So um, I definitely wish you guys all the luck. And um, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for being on today.